welcome to this episode of Nashville Anthems, dissecting 80s and 90s country music. That was Snellville Pioneer playing those hot legs on today's theme music. Check them out. Our project on this podcast is to get to the heart of what makes 80s and 90s country music particularly work by picking apart the songs played on satellite radio's 80s and 90s country station one at a time. I'm your host, Milton McMainerberry, and I thank you for listening. In this episode, we don't care about what's in style, clearly, because we're living on love of music whose heyday is long gone. But we're going to walk through that door and into Alan Jackson's 1994 hit, Living on Love Anyway. First off, as always, we save you the trouble of looking this up on Wikipedia yourself so that we can give credit where credit is due. Living on Love was written and recorded by Alan Jackson for his 1994 album, Who Am I? That's his fourth studio album after, and how's this for strong out of the gate? Here in the real world, Don't Rock the Jukebox, and a lot about living and a little about love. Jackson was the sole songwriter on this song, something that's common in his catalog. And the song was produced by Keith Stegall and went to number one on the country charts. So the song made Jackson some money. No word on how much love it made him. So what are the key aspects of this song that make it what it is? Well, I'm going to touch on two. The first is simplicity or straightforwardness. I couldn't decide which to call this, and they don't mean the same thing, but somehow they are inseparable concepts, at least on this song. And it does seem like we're at least flirting with some of the nuance that's at the heart of this song and the wider era and genre that we're exploring here. But let's look at that simplicity and straightforwardness, both musically and what I'll call philosophically. It sounds simple. Why? Yes, it does, Mr. Jackson. The song is unquestionably simple musically. It is a three-chord song. It's about as three-chord a song as you will ever hear. The song is in the key of A, so every chord is either that one chord, A, or D, the four chord, or E, the five chord, and that's it. No minors, no two chords, suspensions, split chords, anything like that. Not even close. Instrumentally, you have drums, bass, acoustic rhythm guitar, telecaster, lead, or steel guitar. They swap off and sparing but killer fiddle, and you have some piano in the second verse only. So there seems to be an emerging pattern here. These songs have lots of instruments. I had never noticed that before. Uh, In a way, on this song in particular, I would argue that those extra instruments make the song. The fiddle work, as I said, is outstanding, especially that intro and turnaround with those seven little staccato to get us into beat one. Very nice. The rhythm section, on the other hand, is playing very basic stuff. So if you didn't have all the fills between vocal lines from that fiddle and from the steel and lead guitars and from the piano in the second verse, I'm honestly not sure you have a memorable song here. We'll get into the lyrics and vocals in just a minute, but I'm not sure those are compelling enough to elevate this song to the hit it was without all the instrumental color turning an otherwise basic chord pattern and instrumental track into something special. The structure of the song is also quite simple. It's just verse-chorus, instrumental turnaround, verse-chorus-chorus, and a tag. And the song meanders along on this leisurely pace. It doesn't really sound like it's in any kind of a hurry, like a Sunday afternoon. No syncopations or rhythmic curveballs to keep you on your toes. Nothing approaching any of the driving, even frantic pace of some of the other songs that we've explored, like Seminole Wind and Ain't Going Down Till the Sun Comes Up. This song is just like, keep it simple, stupid. But really, how could it be any other way 
in a song with these lyrics. Because that simple and straightforward quality permeates what I'll call the philosophy of this song. The simplicity at the heart of the song is epitomized by that simple line, it doesn't take much, but you get enough. What? You guessed it, living on love. The song mentions a front porch swing, which seems to signal that it is rural. So we begin to see that concept of rural authenticity that we've been exploring pop up here. Or do we? It's rural, but is it authentic? I hear you saying, isn't it a little over the top, Melton? Yeah, maybe so, and we'll get to that. But right now, let's change the question a bit. Instead of asking if living on love is authentic, let's ask in what sense, if any, it is authentic. And to me, the authenticity of this song largely comes from the honesty in Alan Jackson's vocals. Do you know what I'm talking about here? For me, it's as an Alan Jackson hallmark. You know, George Strait has it too. Maybe I have that backwards. Maybe I should say that George Strait has it and Alan Jackson does too. But George Strait will certainly come up soon enough on this podcast, so let's just hold that thought for now. But what I'm talking about here is something that's always in Alan Jackson's delivery, I think. It's certainly there on this song. It's believable. It's earnest. It's almost conversational. Do you know what I mean? Jackson's singing is right on the brink of speaking, especially in the verses. Settle down, just what they need, living on love. It's closer to a grandfather, maybe an uncle, telling a tall tale than it is to Travis Tritt's soulful delivery or Garth Brooks's bluesy delivery that we've heard on a couple of the songs so far. It doesn't really sound like Vince Gill's bluegrass either. It's less twangy than Diamond Rio's Marty Rowe, although there is some twang in there, but it's understated. And maybe that's the best word to describe Jackson's vocals. Understated. Rather like Patty Loveless and How Can I Help You Say Goodbye, it sits in a comfortable vocal range. Jackson never gets higher than a C-sharp, which is a comfortable note for most men. And the singer in both songs sounds like he or she is sitting you down and just having a talk. And that's really where the honesty comes from, the authenticity. Because nothing about the way Jackson is singing sounds affected or pretentious. It doesn't sound like he's doing an Alan Jackson impression or George Strait impression either, for that matter, but that he's just singing how he sings. And that delivery style is a nice vehicle for a song like this, right? It does sound like your granddad telling you a story, and that's kind of what the song is about. Now, you could see the first verse in this song being told by the old man in the second. It's the sort of thing that has no business working. So again, we're asking, why does this song, why did this era and genre, why do they work? Because it really shouldn't. This song should be the biggest eye roller we've had. And I have to say it almost is, but it's not. And I think maybe you put this in anyone else's voice, except maybe George Strait's, and it doesn't work. But it works with an honest delivery like Alan Jackson's. And you wonder, right, did Alan Jackson know that and that's why he wrote this song for himself? Or did he just write what he writes, and that lack of pretense is the whole reason it works? It's that age-old Bob Dylan question, right? How much of this mythology was deliberate, and how much just the man doing what he does? And are those ideas necessarily different? Are they mutually exclusive? I mean, who was it that said, some of this doesn't sound much different than Dylan? Boy, I hope we get to that song before too long. More than any other, I am dying to tackle that song. But all in due time. The other key feature of this song that I want to get to is what I'm going to call conservative 
idealism. So something key about this song is that it narrates life stages in a storytelling way, a la How Can I Help You Say Goodbye. It's kind of funny that I keep referencing that one as the one of our previous songs that this one has the most in common with, right? Because musically, they're on different planets, but lyrically, they're close cousins. There is a way that this era of country does this kind of life song, and both those songs do it with these verses narrating a life at different stages. How Can I Help You had three, and this one has two. Uh, but other than that, very similar. Kind of funny, by the way, how Living on Love skips that middle stage, right? This couple is married, and then they're old. It's like an I'm going to be somebody. What about that grind in between? So some of that is the idealism of the song, which, as we mentioned in the I'm going to be somebody episode, there was a heavy dose of there. It does seem in this song to gloss over how difficult living on love actually is. In both of the stages it narrates, as well as in the slow burn in between. But the other thing it is, in addition to idealistic, is very traditional. It's like modern family, this ain't, right? The song quickly narrates those two stages. The first stage is marriage, settling down, and babies. Doesn't sound like one stage, but they happen so quickly for this couple that it is all one stage. It's presented as a natural and unquestioned way to conduct a family. The next thing you know, it's an empty nest. So this couple did have kids. The kids grew up, got jobs, and moved away. And, and, And this is really central to the song. The couple stayed together through it all and grew old together. So all this is certainly traditional, dare I say it, family values. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that necessarily, but I think it is fair to say the song doesn't leave a lot of room for other pathways for a family. And we all know from experience that there are many of those. I dare say not too many families' paths are that clean and straightforward. But the song doesn't really question any of that. It rather holds this family up as an ideal. That's why I say it's idealistic. The song doesn't question that ideal as an ideal either. So we've seen this over and over again so far in this project. These songs honor what they honor. They adore what they adore. And they celebrate what they celebrate. And those things are not up for negotiation. You can take them or leave them as the listener. I suppose that does go back to the straightforwardness we mentioned a moment ago. It also strikes me as a conservative value, for better or for worse. So good examples of these conservative ideals. The song simply calls its subject matter old-fashioned. So it's self-conscious. It's explicit when it uses that term. The song knows what it is, and it sounds very comfortable with itself. Contentment seems to be one of the pools this song is swimming in. Some other examples of those conservative ideals, the lyrics, she don't care about what's in style. Fashion, please, not for these two. All the beauty they need is in each other's eyes, right? I mean, the next line is, she just likes the way he smiles. Another example, it takes more than marble and tile, because HGTV, this ain't. They don't just ignore contemporary fashions and styles, this couple. They have contempt for it. This couple is quite happy with their lifestyle, and if you don't like it, well, it seems like that's your problem, not theirs. Kind of don't try to impose your styles and your values on us kind of thing. Another example, that last verse. So the example of the wife's physical frailty is that she can barely, was it paint portraits? Was it play guitar, write plays? Was it manage her side business? Nope. None of those. It was that she could barely sweep the floor. So the conservative family values, gender roles, all those things are unapologetically there. In fact, unapologetically celebrated. And that's kind of all there is to it. Like we've seen so many times before, 
You will search in vain for a trace of irony or cynicism or satire in this song. So a final note on that idealism, and in the end, this is really what this song is really saying, right? It's not really leaving room for guessing here. It's just saying it out loud that you don't need money. You just need what? Love. And there is truth to that sentiment, right? We live in a greedy, consumeristic, materialistic culture that idolizes money and success. I don't think too many people are going to argue with me on that. But by the same token, people don't generally take love as payment for goods and services received. You actually do need money. Doesn't mean you aren't allowed to have laminate countertops instead of marble or tile. Doesn't mean you aren't allowed to sing while you sit on your front porch swing. But you aren't going to have any of those things without money. So there's a balance there. Ignoring money because you have love isn't going to work for very long, realistically, right? And ignoring love because you have money isn't either. This song is pushing against the latter of those two, but arguably it's swinging that front porch swing too far toward the former. But I think taking the song on its own terms, it knows that and is okay with it. It's giving you a saccharine view of life, and it's doing it on purpose because, and this was probably extra true in the 90s, we get plenty of the cynical view. At least, that's how I hear this song. I'd love to hear how you hear it, especially if it's different or you have some different nuance that you'd like to bring out. Write me at meltonmcmainerberry at gmail.com and let me know. But for now, let's recap. We talked about two key features of Alan Jackson's 1994 song, Living on Love. The first was either simplicity or straightforwardness, or maybe simple straightforwardness or straightforward simplicity, which we talked about both musically and philosophically. None of that is just in the way that Alan Jackson, I have to say honestly, delivers this song. We also talked about conservative idealism, those family values that uh, we were hearing so much about in the 90s were there. And in an ideal way, you know, we talked about it. The song presents a traditional family structure and family pathways, glosses over some difficult details, and in the end just leaves you with that message that love is more important than money. Not a message we would argue with. We would just say time out. I think there's some details that we need to discuss to flesh this out. The song doesn't leave any room for that. It's just giving you that view. Take it or leave it. Chew on it. And let it inform your real life, maybe just your dreams going forward. So I'm going to get off this front porch swing now. I've always been kind of afraid one of those big hooks at the top was going to pop out and hit me on the head anyway. So before that happens, I'm going to see what song we're going to be covering next week by pulling up Satellite Radio's 80s and 90s country station right now and seeing what's playing. We're back to Travis Tritt. The song is Lord Have Mercy on the Working Man. We will deal with that song in two weeks in the meantime you can follow nashville anthems on both instagram and facebook and don't forget to tell a friend about us thanks for listening and i will see you later